Chapter 8. The Spiritual Cat Scan What's really going on inside that mind of yours? The pre says, Hashem gave a special gift to His precious children that deep in our hearts we are always connected to Him. Hashem does not just look at your actions. He sees deep into your core. In Yomim Neiram Davening we say, one of the most emotional aspects of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is the awesome realization that we are standing before a judge who examines hearts, reveals hidden depths, knows all of our thoughts. Yikes! It's bad enough that Hashem judges our sinful actions as our violations are displayed on a life-size, high-def, full-color, 3D slow-motion video. But along comes these heart-wrenching words, revealing that Hashem, our judge, does not only see what we actually did wrong, but He also knows our sinful thoughts lurking beneath the surface. Ay, how can you not just die of embarrassment as every sinful thought and feeling that you had during the entire year is openly revealed in Hashem's heavenly court? Let's bring an example to prove the point. Out of control. The prosecutor began the case against Herman by playing a video showing him entering a liquor store at 2.19 a.m. to purchase a huge bottle of vodka. Then came the testimony of a police officer who saw Herman wandering through the park at 3.30 a.m., completely intoxicated. Herman's credit card receipt showed that he purchased gas for his car at 3.45 a.m. And finally, a video taken at 4.05 a.m. by a bystander crossing the street clearly showed Herman speed straight through a red light, running over the innocent video guy himself. With the camera on the ground still filming, the video captures Herman stumbling out of the car, drunkenly screaming, Oy vey, oy vey, what did I do? How did I do this? Help! This was clearly an open-shut case. How could Herman defend himself? Could he deny what happened? Of course not. And now he was about to be judged. That feeling of knowing that we are cooked happens to us each and every year, and we just don't know how to deal with it. So let's take a look back in time, and we will find that it actually happened to all of us as an entire nation a long, long time ago. Roll clip. After we finally got out of Egypt with the Egyptians chasing us in hot pursuit, we found ourselves trapped on all sides with our path blocked by a sea. That's bad. Hashem then commanded the sea to split for us. But then a very interesting event occurred. The Medrash teaches us that the heavenly command got caught up, so to speak, in red tape. And the prosecuting angels interjected. No, these Jews are worshipping idols just as the Egyptians do. So how can you command us to split the sea for this group and then drown the other group when they are actually both essentially the same? to prove the point. Security clearance. The Prime Minister called the head of airport security with a direct command, 
At exactly 2 p.m. today, a flight from Iran will be landing at your airport. Forty men named Ishmael Alili Ikmabukabakabukubaku will try to get into our country. They were all trained by the same terrorist group. I hereby command you to escort the first 20 of them right through security and out of the airport. And then the next 20 of them should be shot dead right there on the spot. The head of security replied, I'm sorry, Mr. Prime Minister, but we have rules and regulations that we must follow. How can we possibly do this? They are all the same. You see, based on our actions, we were really in big trouble with no way to defend ourselves, just like our friend Herman, and just like each one of us feels every single year as we stand to be judged. The Nesiva Shalom says, But as we all know, Hashem did rescue us from the Egyptians. No, so how did he get around the prosecuting angel's rational objection? The Nesiva Shalom explains, Ki malachim usrafim royim rak es hamaisim bepoil. Ach einim yoydin es hamachshavois. Ve einim yichoylum lahavchin. Bein etzem lemikra. Al kein tanu halolu vahalolu oivde avoydezara. Heavenly angels can only see our exterior actions, but they have no power to see and to know what we are really thinking deep inside. Therefore, they cannot differentiate between essence and circumstance, etzem and mikra. That is why they mistakenly thought that the two groups of idol worshippers were exactly the same. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaYedeya Machshavos, Umeven Kaltalumai Slave, Rakhu Yoda, She'ein Halalu Kahalalu, She'afilu Kishihudi Choyte, Ein Zebishot Nefesh, Elaliboi Nishbar Ma'oid Bikirboi Mikishloinai. However, Hashem, who sees deep inside of every single one of us, He knows that there is no comparison between a Yid, even while doing the worst sins imaginable, and idol-worshipping Egyptians. Hashem knows that you would never, ever willingly agree to sin against Him. In your internal mindset, you never meant to sin at all, and you are completely dedicated to Hashem and to following all of His commandments. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Let's meet Rabbi Goldstein. Rabbi Shimon Goldstein was perhaps the most popular figure in America. He lived in Washington and was the top Jewish liaison to the president. The president often publicly said that if he would ever convert to Judaism, Rabbi Goldstein would be his rabbi. One late night on the way home from visiting the president, he came head to head with a gang of idol worshippers. They put a gun to his head and they said, Hey, Rabbi, either bow down to our idol or we will blow your brains out. Defiantly, the rabbi retorted, I will never, ever bow down. The hoodlums placed the idol on the ground and then brutally swung a bat at the rabbi's stomach, cracking all of his ribs. Rip Shimon doubled over and fell on his hands and knees in intense pain. They then snapped a picture and sent it to all the newspapers. The next day, every paper in the nation featured the picture of Rabbi Shimon Goldstein on his hands and knees in front of the idol, along with the caption, The President's Rabbi Becomes an Idol Worshipper. Dear reader, did Rabbi Goldstein physically bow down to that idol? Yes, he did. But do you think that Rabbi Goldstein became an idol worshipper? Of course not. He was merely unable to fend off the gang members who forced him to bow down. If he knew karate or carried a weapon, he certainly never would have bowed down and he would have fought them to the death. 
Now we can understand that this is exactly what Hashem told those prosecuting angels. Listen to the Yalkut Shemoni, the Medrash on the Torah. When the angels questioned our loyalty to Hashem, Hashem responded, You fools! Can you compare those who sin because they are forced to sin to those who willingly sin? Did Klal Yisrael worship idols in Mitzrayim because they wanted to? Or was it because they were under extreme pressure, the pressure of being enslaved and under the influence of their contaminated surroundings? Now let's remember, if Hashem would have judged us based only on our actions, we would have been wiped out right then and there from a pursuing Egyptian army out to kill us. So we see that this concept is not just a nice thought. Oh, Hashem doesn't look at our actions. He sees what's inside. No, it's not just a thought. Rather, our entire existence as a nation came about only because this is truly the way that Hashem evaluates our situations. Although they may have externally engaged in the action of bowing to idols, they certainly were not, by any stretch of the imagination, true idol worshippers. And so it is with each and every one of us. Yes, you may blank, but you certainly are not a blanker. The pre-tzadik says, Ki libam kulam In reality, every Jew is essentially righteous and holy, and anything he does wrong is only due to the thorny Yetzirah that constantly pokes at him. The Nesiva Shalom says that while the Jews were still slaves in Mitzrayim, Hashem told Moshe, you, Moshe Rabbeinu, you only see their outside, their actions, their external behavior, which seems like they have given up on their true Jewish identity, and they seem to be comfortable living a life immersed in Tumah, spiritual impurity. Whereas I, Hashem, I see the same exterior that you see, but I also see what lies deep within their souls. I see their intense yusure nefesh, internal agony, heartache, and misery churning deep within them as they scream out to me regarding their low spiritual state and depressing situation. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Not a good Shabbos. Mr. Greenstein was walking quickly down Ocean Parkway on a cold and dark Friday night after attending his weekly shear when he chanced upon a few rebellious-looking teenagers. He tried to walk past them quickly, hoping they weren't dangerous, when suddenly one of them spitefully shouted out, Good Shabbos, Rabbi! While taking a drag from some kind of cigarette and gulping down a shot of vodka straight from the bottle, the other boys chuckled. Rabbi Greenstein's heart nearly stopped as he realized that these dangerous-looking thugs were actually Jewish boys. Anger boiled within him as he could not understand. How are they not ashamed to act like that in front of me? 
He became disgusted at their spitefulness in wishing him a good Shabbos while desecrating it right in front of him. And at the same moment, fuming with anger, he told his family, these stinking kids are trash and we should throw them out of the neighborhood. They aren't even recyclable because they can never become anything good. They're just plain trash. When we see a quote-unquote rebel, we may think that he is content with his life and he isn't even interested in improving. We may think he really is worthless and just a piece of junk. But that is only because we can only see his external actions and the tough front that he puts up. On the outside, he may seem happy and content with his life. He may look tough and rebellious. He may look like he's having so much fun partying and spitting in the face of Yiddishkeit and Hashem. However, Hashem, who sees the deep pain inside of his heart regarding his sad spiritual status, knows that nothing is further from the truth. No one wants to be far away from Hashem. No one really wants to be a rebellious, ungrateful person. No one wants to waste his life and waste his potential. Hashem would tell the Mr. Greenstein inside each and every one of us, when you judge any Yid at any age or stage, remember that you can only see the exterior, the kid at risk or post-risk, the angry person, the miser, the hypocrite, the kachlefel, the fighter, the ganaf, etc., etc. However, I, Hashem, I also see deep within him and I can tell you, that he is in tremendous pain and agony over his situation, and he wishes that his life would be different and that he could improve. Hashem, who also sees the hidden part of us, can hear the muffled screams emanating from deep within our souls, crying out in pain over the low spiritual situation that we find ourselves in. We're crying out, Hashem, please save me. The Nesiva Shalom says, Kikasha Yehudi Chayte, Whenever you go against the will of Hashem, deep, deep inside of you, you feel absolutely horrible. After all, what fool would ever want to do that? You know that these actions are not in your own best interest and you never fully internally agreed to do these sinful actions and have these sinful thoughts. Therefore, it is really as though you were hijacked and forced to go against your own true wish and desire to be good and to be close to Hashem. Now we can look at this prayer with a fresh outlook. Now we understand that these words are not meant to be said in grief. Woe is to me that Hashem is going to reveal my deep, dark thoughts and secrets. On the contrary, it is actually a heartfelt prayer. Please, Hashem, as the prosecutor displays all of my disgusting, sinful, external actions, please delve past all of the confusion and the corruption and look deeper and deeper into my core essence. Reveal to the whole entire heavenly court how heartbroken I was each time I sinned, how much regret I have from sinning against you, and how my true inner desire is never to sin against you again. Yes, Hashem, 
look deep into my heart and reveal all of my deep, pure feelings and longing, my inner longing to always be good. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Behind the scenes. Let's get back to our friend Herman. Herman asked to address the jury. He explained that he was indeed guilty of the horrific crime. Yes, he was drunk. He did speed through the red light, and he did, unfortunately, run over the innocent bystander. However, he pleaded with them to take the recent events in his life into consideration before they judged him. Tearfully, he revealed what had brought him to this unfortunate situation. One year earlier, his precious five-year-old daughter had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. As he tried to plan for this terrible stage of his life, he knew that at least he had a comfortable job with the financial security and resources to do whatever was necessary to save her life. However, his company was suddenly wiped out and he lost all of his money. Six months before, he had sold his home and begun construction on a new house. Now, with no money to pay for the construction, he had to stop the project and the bank took the home away from him. His entire life quickly unraveled. He didn't have the money to help his daughter find the best medical treatment possible. And then his daughter died. He began to suffer from chest pain and developed diabetes. As a result of all the stress, his beloved wife had a breakdown and was committed to a mental institution. He was shattered, penniless, homeless. In his broken and twisted mind that night, he was hoping not to kill, but to be killed. He planned to jump from a cliff. This horrible accident occurred while he was driving to that cliff. He stood before the jury, weeping and pleading, Please don't send me to jail for the rest of my life. Please execute me and put me out of my misery, for I can't bear to live any longer. The jury now understood that Herman was not an evil person. Rather, he was a broken, good person. They realized that he does not need to be punished as much as he needs to be repaired. It is true that he may have killed, but he was not a killer. They sentenced him to spend one year in a state-of-the-art rehabilitation center to be funded by the state in order to help him deal with his past trauma and be able to build a new life for himself. Indeed, after just one year at the facility, Herman left the facility like a new man with the rest of his life ahead of him. Greeting him at the front door was the judge and the entire jury. They celebrated his new lease on life and they all wished him well. The same jurors who were originally prepared to convict Herman of murder became his biggest fans, rooting for him and buying him gifts in order to lift his spirits as he began a new life. Now we can understand how Hashem looked at us when we left Mitzrayim. Instead of focusing on our corrupt actions, He focused instead on our pure essence and incredible potential. These souls did not need to be punished. No, they needed to be saved and rehabilitated. They did not need to be drowned. They needed to cross that sea and get away from their past so that they can build a new life for themselves. And indeed, just 49 days later, we heard the voice of God speaking directly to us at Har Sinai. Not bad for a seven-week Kirov program. Now that we have revealed how Hashem looks at us, we must learn to look at ourselves in the same inspirational way. In Tehillim, David HaMelech says, Shir HaMalais, Mimamakim, Kurasicha Hashem. A song of elevation from the depths I call out to Hashem. 
Now, the simple meaning of from the depths is that the person is calling out to Hashem from a very difficult and dismal situation. The Nesiva Shalom says, Hainu mimamake hanefesh. However, it can also mean that I am calling out from the depths of my own heart and soul. Meaning that even after you sink so low that externally it already seems even to yourself, that you are no longer reaching up and calling out to Hashem, still, mimamakim, from the depths, meaning from the depths of you, deep, deep inside of you, you are in pain and agony over the sad state of your own low spiritual situation, and your soul is screaming for salvation. The Heilige Klila Seifi adds, perhaps this is why David HaMelech specifically began this verse with the words, Shir HaMalais, a song of elevation, for the key to being able to raise yourself up from a low level and elevate yourself is to tap into the fact that, Mimamakim, deep inside of your soul, you are not happy with your current low situation and Kirasicha Hashem. Really, you are still yearning to be closer to Hashem. And now we can uncover a deeper revelation in our prayers. In the tefillah we say, Hear our screams, the one who knows hidden things. Now at first glance, it seems that the attribute doesn't correctly match the description. For if we are screaming, then why refer to Hashem as the one who knows hidden things? Hello? It's not hidden if we're screaming. Wouldn't it be better to describe Hashem as Shemea Tsa'okais, the one who hears our screams? The Nesive Emma says, Afilu kashi Yehudi nimtza b'matzav koishofa v'garua, she'eni yochel afilu litzaik. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, shehu yodea talumois, Shemea alamach oivav ha'pnimiyim, asher tzoak, hoshieni ovi. This is the inner beauty of the prayer. Even when I am so messed up that I cannot even manage to cry out over my low situation. And it may seem like I am okay with the way things are. Hashem, who is Yodea Talumois, He hears the bitter screams of our intense pain emanating from deep within my soul. Who is the one who could hear our inner screaming? Yodea Talumois, the one who knows what's hidden. Now fasten your seatbelt while we reveal an amazing concept. The Torah says that when Moshe Rabbeinu descended from Har Sinai, Yeshua heard shouting coming from the camp. The voice of war is in the camp. Yeshua understood that if the camp was in such an uproar, it must have been because the camp was under attack. Either they were winning and chasing the intruders while shouting victoriously, or they were losing the battle and screaming out in pain. However, our wise leader Moshe Rabbeinu answered, Vayoymer, and he told Yeshua, Ein kol anois gevura, ve'ein kol anois chalusha, kol anois I do not hear shouts of victory or screams of weakness. I hear only sounds of distress. There is a fascinating Talmud Yerushalmi. Moshe's words to Yeshua carry an implied rebuke, as if to say, hey, the future leader of Klal Yisrael should be able to differentiate between the sound of war and the sound of pain. 
And Rav Schwab in Mayan Beis HaSheva says, Mahi yataina she'en lekishrin zeh lahavchin bein koil lekoil bekoilis anishmoim meirachayk. It's an obvious question. I mean, what was so terrible about Yeshua's inability to differentiate between distant screams of victory and screams of anguish? If you were far away from a football stadium and you heard 40,000 people shouting at the top of their lungs, would you be able to tell the difference between the crowd screaming defense or go, go, go? Rav Schwab answers beautifully. Yeshua and Moshe Rabbeinu both heard the same thing. They heard and they understood that the shouting emanated not from a war, but from a drunken crowd that was dancing around a golden calf serving idols. However, Yeshua concluded that this behavior must represent that they were waging a war against Hashem. Therefore, he told Moshe Rabbeinu, Kal the voice of war is in the camp, a war against God. Rav Schwab says, anu However, our holy teacher Moshe, who knew and understood us very well, rebuked Yahishua for his interpretation of our wrongful acts, and he taught him a fundamental principle. Moshe looked past the external actions of the rebellious nation and saw the anguish and inner pain that arose because they felt abandoned in a desert without a leader. He understood that even though they were drunk and dancing around an idol, the source of their behavior was not a rebellion against Hashem. Rather, it was because they thought that their beloved Moshe Rabbeinu, their GPS, had left them and they were completely lost to be alone in the desert and die. Rav Schwab continues, As we see openly in our day and age, people who suffer inner pain and turmoil try to escape by drinking, doing drugs, and partying. And this was the Taina on Yeshua. This is the lesson that Moshe Rabbeinu told Yahishua. The future leader of Klal Yisrael must be able to know whether those who stray from the right path and throw off the yoke of heaven are doing so out of happiness and lightheadedness, or if the reason that they are acting this way is really just because they are filled with depression, hopelessness, and deep inner pain. Because only with this proper understanding can we ever hope to bring these lost souls, our children, back home. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Breakdancing. There was a famous parable of a man who caught a fish, and his young son watched in amazement as the fish wildly flipped and flopped on the ground. The boy thought that the fish was dancing, overjoyed to be saved from the water. So the boy pumped up the music and started to clap and dance along with him. Papa, look how well this fish breakdances. They danced and danced until the fish died. 
The naive child thought the fish was having fun, but the wise man understands that the fish was actually gasping for life. Authentic Yiddishkeit believes that someone may seem to be enjoying himself and partying out of control. But that does not mean that he is truly satisfied with his life. In fact, the partying might very well be a manifestation of tremendous inner pain that is eating him up to the point that he cannot deal with it any other way. He is not dancing, he is gasping for life. Understanding this is our only hope of returning those lost souls to Hashem. And that includes our own souls as well.